The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio, and we're glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Dan Beckett, here with co-host Reverend Michelle Jellich. Today, we'll share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. Each week on the show, we'll respond to a listener question or comment. Be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, so please let us know what's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. Today's show is titled, Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life. It has been said that if we change the contents of our thinking, we can change the experience of our lives. And if we direct our thoughts with integrity, our lives come together beautifully. We can move from negativity to hope and joy through making just such a shift. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on learning how the power of our thoughts can lead us to peace and a new experience of joy in our lives. And uh, we're having some audio trouble. Can't hear Reverend Michelle, so I'll continue. Not sure what's going on there, but we will begin, as we always do, by sharing our experiences of this negativity that I'm talking about, and then move into the solution of changing our thoughts. And after the break, we'll share exactly how changing our thoughts helped us move from negativity to joy and peace. And I think she's back now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. All righty. Good. So, <laughs> just get myself organized here. Dan, tell us about what that negativity was like for you. What 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 was that negativity? Well, the uh, what comes to mind first, and and these are, um, you know, I think these are kind of just ingrained habits of mind, you know, because yes. again, it's not like they used to happen and they don't happen anymore. But it it is the the case that they used to dominate my you know, my experience and now they're present, but Mm -hmm. they certainly don't uh, dominate it. And I have a choice, right? Not unlike other things we've one working definition of addiction is the, the, the lack of a choice. And in recovery, one thing we're recovering is our ability to choose. Mm -hmm. And so that happened with me around these negative thought patterns. But one of them is, um, 
I'll just, uh, I'll title it, Assuming the Worst. Mm-hmm. You know, w- worrying the, about the worst outcome. Now, that's actually a powerful ability to have as long as it's not running my life. I mean, it's good to be able to think through a scenario and realize, you know, where could we get off track? Because that way we can make sure that we do what we need to do to stay on track. But it's no good when it's sort of my default pattern, like, oh, you know, I can feel, I feel fearful and my whole life experience feels that way uh, a lot of the time because I don't have the ability to stop choosing this way of looking. So just sort of assuming the worst, worrying that things aren't, um, you know, going to go the way that I want them to go. So that's, that's jumped to mind first when I think about, um, you know, patterns of negativity in my experience. Yeah. So I'm really glad what you mentioned about, um, that these, these types of thought patterns can be really ingrained and they become automatized, right? So that they are our default thought setting. And so as we'll be talking about today, a big part of it is, is getting, um, getting to the point where we have some choice in the matter. And it turns out that that, for me at least, that has really been the crucial thing. It's just that, that split second where there's a choice um, to make a different choice. Whereas before there was no option. It's just the way things were. So I totally relate. I think I might have put that under my notes as uh, Murphy's law, right? Always assuming that the worst thing will happen. And that's sort of a, you know, cultural joke, Murphy's law. But uh, it can get to the point, at least it was for me, and can still be sometimes if I'm not careful and mindful, where the the worst case scenario is my default thinking, um, rather than what could go right, it's what could go wrong. And um, I think that this is like I've shared of many things, I think for a lot of addicts is um, trauma based. It's coming from, you know, having been through some pretty tough things in our life. And uh, a lot of our energy goes towards trying to make sure those things don't happen again. So it's it's a coping mechanism, right? Trying to um, control things and make sure that that worst case scenario doesn't happen. And darn it, it is not going to sneak up on me unawares, right? Because I've figured out every possible thing that could go wrong. <laughs> but the problem is, as we're going to be talking about today, is if we're always holding the worst case scenario in our thoughts, then that tends to be a self-fulfilling thing and um, is not typically very helpful. So yeah, I really relate to that. Yeah, and as you as you share that, I realize that th- these thought patterns they they make perfect sense. You know, they're not there for no reason. Right. There's really good reason that uh, we developed those thought patterns, and they were um, responses to you know real life situations. They yep. were our kind of go to coping mechanisms, and they served us very very well. Yes. So they're not bad. It's just that I want some options. You know, I don't want to be locked into uh, assuming the worst. So a related one, and I, I, I swear I wrote like three or four things down. I looked at it. I'm like, that's just four ways of saying exactly same the thing. same thing. <laughs> so maybe I just have one, you know, primary negative thought pattern that, uh, you know, I usually have an idea of how I would like things to work out. I don't know. Maybe I'm weird and unique in that way. I suspect yeah, I'm not. not. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm afraid that. What if things don't work out the way that I want them to work out? Um, that can be a source of uh, anxiety for me, you know, of, of fear. And again, um, 
it's not that that awareness is necessarily a bad thing, but when I'm doing what the Buddhists might say, uh, striving or clinging to that uh, point of view and that I really, I can't turn it off. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? If I can't turn it off, then it's a problem. And the problem is not quite so much that way of seeing, it's the not being able to turn it off. That's right. the problem. Like if I had that ability on a shelf where I could choose to use it when it's appropriate and helpful to use it, then then it's not an issue at all. In fact, it's a great strength to be able to do that. I mean, there right. are people who make a great living, you know, security consultants yeah. make an entire career out of being really, really good at being able to look at a scenario and say, look, here are the holes that I'm seeing. Here are the things that need some attention. But when it's got a charge to it, when it's happening inside my consciousness and I'm afraid and I don't have a choice, that's when it becomes an issue. So, you know, fearful that things aren't going to work out is yeah. one way that that has shown up. Yeah, and like you said, not working out the way I want them to is a sense is in a sense the same thing as not working out, right? Because <laughs> we have oh, in our it's mind exactly the, way. <laughs> the same thing, right? It goes without saying. This is all about me. I don't know if I right. mentioned that, but let's not forget. Yeah, that. let's not forget that. You know, I like what you said um, that you know these things served their purpose. They served us well. They were coping mechanisms. Um, but as so many of these things that we uh, these coping mechanisms and strategies that we learned probably as children, if not as young people, yeah. um, they served us at the time, but they have outlived their purpose. And now they have become our default setting and they're not needed anymore. So this is where we begin this long process of getting rid of that which no longer serves us. And I love the idea of rather than vilifying it and oh this is so horrible and why am i like this of just acknowledging you know this habit really served me well when i needed to survive my alcoholism my childhood my whatever it is um and then say but i don't need it anymore and the problem becomes when it becomes our default setting so rather than the person who's able to determine what could go wrong in this situation we are thinking this is what's going to go wrong <laughs> assuming the worst assume you know so, so where the negative worst outcome is the default setting and for me that's really been where the work has been in starting to try to change that default setting just even beginning to allow other options that the worst thing might not happen and i think i'm protecting myself by assuming the worst but you know, as we're going to get into unity teachings or that what we hold in our consciousness is largely what we experience. So if I'm always assuming the worst possible outcome, then I may essentially be creating that myself. And that's not what I want to be doing. I think it's certainly more likely, right? Because what, you know, that's a core principle of consciousness of what we focus on. We tend to get more of that thing. I loved how you put they've outlived their purpose. That's probably the very best way that I've heard to say that, that they had utility and they've outlived their purpose. Yeah. Um, I'm reminded of the of a story, I'm not sure what tradition it's from, but it's, it basically says, look, if you build a raft to cross the river, you don't then strap the raft on your back as you walk away from the river. You don't need the raft anymore. <laughs> You've crossed the river. The point of the purpose of the raft is to get you across the river and then you let it go. But right. 
that's not, you know, we, we're not letting go of these uh, coping mechanisms that we did need. They were in effect like a raft that helped us get across the river, but then we strapped it to our back and carried on and, yeah, exactly. you know, hence the, the trouble. Um, attachment to outcomes yeah. is another way, I think, of saying the same thing. But assuming the worst, fearful that things won't work out, and attachment to outcomes, is that not three ways of saying exactly the same thing? It seems like it is. I don't know. I could be wrong about that. But, you know, again, speaking of um, the Buddhist tradition, attachments is a word we hear yeah. uh, in, in Buddhist way of seeing. Um, and attachment to outcomes is can be particularly poisonous because that's like, um, you know, if I'm doing that, I could easily be associating my sense of value, you know, my self-worth mm -hmm. with what I'm accomplishing or not accomplishing. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, the end result determines whether I'm an okay person or not. Right. And that that's, uh, you know, d deeply problematic on its own for sure. So attachment to outcomes, you know, I want to be aware enough of outcomes in order to, you know, I want to know which way I'd like to go, you know, right. where is the mountaintop toward which I would like to walk, but I don't want to be hyper-focused on it to the point where I'm not okay if I'm not getting it. Yeah, uh, for me, the, another big thing that um, I've had to really work at becoming aware of is negative self-talk. And so, um, it's very sort of below the radar, at least was for me for a really long time. I didn't realize that all this negative self-talk was going on. It's taken me years to become really aware of it because it's not a voice that I hear. It's a line of thinking that is sort of carrying on in the background all the time that's um, saying negative things to me or assuming negative um negative things. And like I say, it's just taken me a really long time to begin to get a handle on that. But getting, you know, being coming aware of it is the first step to being able to change it. So that's where the work really is. Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll be talking about that quite a lot because I agree 100% with you on that. But now that we know a little bit about the challenges of negativity that we've had, what is the solution to this? Well, in unity, as always, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles. Yes, and especially in unity, we believe that what we hold in our consciousness largely drives our experience of the world around us. In fact, our unity's third principle reads uh, something like this. We are co-creators with God, actively creating our world through thoughts held in mind. And that's what we want to focus on today. But what does it mean to say that I can change my thoughts? How are we co-creating with God through thoughts held in mind? It doesn't seem that easy, actually, and, and maybe it doesn't even seem possible and yeah. if it was possible, how on earth would this even work? So, Michelle, when you think I'm, I'm listening very closely to your answers here because uh -oh. I'm still asking. You know, that's why adults are always asking children what they want to be when they grow up because we're looking for ideas. And so <laughs> I'm looking for ideas here, Michelle. Uh, you know, what does it mean to change our thoughts? What does that look like, really? Like in reality, not in yeah. a attitude. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. We want to talk about reality here. Well, I think we've already hit on what for me has turned out to be really kind of the crux of the thing, and that's awareness. Um, 
changing our thoughts is another whole other sort of level, but the beginning of it is just even becoming aware that these thought patterns exist. And that's, you know, it's big. It's, it, it takes, it takes time. It takes a lot of work, um, but it cannot be underestimated how powerful just getting that awareness is because what we're unconscious of is what's driving us, right? The subconscious, all that stuff coming out of the subconscious, it's called the subconscious because we're not conscious of it and it's largely operating in our lives. And so just beginning to become aware that these thought patterns exist, you know, <laughs> I have this clear memory of being a kid at summer camp and one of the counselors telling me, you know, Michelle, you complain a lot and like kind of having a little mini shame attack over that because I didn't realize, I don't know where I got that from. I don't know where, you know, if I was taught that or modeled that, or I picked that up somewhere, but I didn't even, I was completely unaware of it. And I certainly didn't feel like a complainer. I wasn't unhappy, but I had gotten this negative habit of just complaining about things. And I mean, for me, I probably thought I was just pointing things out that were flawed in the universe because that's kind of the way my mind operated. <laughs> I wasn't really trying to be complaining, but that was sort of, you know, you look back and you realize these little nuggets, these little moments in your life. And God, I couldn't have been more than nine or 10 that were just the very, very beginnings of cracking things open and starting to see that. I was so largely unconscious of my behavior and unconscious of what was happening up here. And I'm gesturing to my head, um, what was happening in my head. And so the awareness, just starting to see how these things are operating behind the scenes, these thought patterns, negative thinking, negative self-talk, worst case scenario, catastrophizing. Um, and one of the ways that I have been able to do that is um, through mind through a mindfulness practice of mindfulness meditation, and um, we'll you know probably continue to talk more about that. But that's been a big piece for me is just stopping that crazy train and getting off of it just long enough to actually be able to see it. Because when you're on it, you don't see it. That's a really good point. And I think that's absolutely true. When when I'm on the, what'd you call it? The crazy train? The crazy train. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Ozzy. Oh, that's a great song. When, when I'm on the crazy train, I don't okay. see it. Right. It's the whole, it's the whole world. It, the world is the problem. I mean, you talked about being a complainer. Maybe you're just observant and creative and uh, outgoing person, you know? It's like, oh, look at this, look at that. And, and of course, what comes out of my mouth is, this sucks. Right, exactly. What I really mean was, wow, I can think of several ways to improve this experience. You know, I think you're really right. I really think that's what it was. But it doesn't look like that to people. <laughs> it's just lost. Exactly. <laughs> Again, the difference between the inner and the outer experience yeah. is vast much of the time. Um, you know, I also, that was the very first thing that came to mind for me as well. What does it mean to change our thoughts? What does it look like? Well, first, it looks like awareness. I need to become aware of what's going on. And then I just remembered that those are uh, some core principles in the, um, you know, the Anon programs, Al-Anon, Nar-Anon, etc. Except uh, awareness 
is always the very first step because we can't work with anything if we're not aware of what's going on. Um, the step yep. after that uh, is acceptance. You know, realizing, okay, this is what's going on. I don't have control over it. I'm not approving of it. I'm just acknowledging, yes, this is what's happening. I accept that this is what's happening. And then the third A in these three A's is action. You know, at that point, uh, perhaps I can formulate probably with the guidance of a uh, friend, trusted uh, confidant, uh, of, of some plan of action. And so I think that's all very applicable when we talk about what does it mean to change our thoughts? And yeah, it always begins with awareness. Awareness comes first. It's first and foremost, and then acceptance and action. And, you know, and, and, and one thing that jumped in my head right beyond awareness was non-resistance, right? Can I be aware of this without fighting with it? Mm. Yeah. And that's just another way of saying acceptance. You know, can I have awareness and at the same time have acceptance? Because often what happens with me is awareness is quickly followed by fighting, resistance, pushback. Yes, I don't like yes. that. No, that's not the way I want it to be. I don't like being aware of this behavior in myself. You know, like you talked about the feedback about uh complaining which we tried to spin in a very positive manner i think we did a good job i think we but did. yeah i know it's <laughs> <laughs> works for me <laughs> yeah complain now we just have to convince the rest of the world it's like yeah uh, yeah they're not yelling at me they're yelling with me you know. <laughs> but after i can become aware then you know then it's almost like the the door has opened and if i can walk through the door of awareness then more becomes possible from that point. Yeah, it's very Buddhist, isn't it? I mean, I it's, you know, I have to say a little bit to my own chagrin, I'm becoming awful Buddhist in my old age. Uh, I don't know, this, uh, you know, mindfulness just really turns out to be the key to so much. Um, becoming aware of things, it's like, it's this gift. Uh, what I've noticed is that the first step is, oh my gosh, look, I'm thinking that thought again, or oh look, I'm I'm really catastrophizing in my mind. That is the magic moment. That's it. That's the magic moment. I guess the Buddhists would call it waking up. That's that's waking up. It's when we realize these things that are operating. And then the whole, you know, next step is to begin to change it. But um it's not so much some things just becoming aware of them begins to shift them. But there's that magic moment where I see what's happening. I see the thought pattern. Um, I see the negativity. I see the complaining. And I have that moment of pause between uh, between whatever's happening in my brain and my action, you know, where I want to just charge into doing the next thing. There's that magic moment where there's that split second of pause. And that's where the choice comes back online. Um, I lived so much of my life, even in sobriety, not making conscious choices because I wasn't aware enough to make conscious choices. And I'm sure there's still plenty of things that are operating unconsciously in my life. But the more things I become conscious of and have that split second moment where I can make a choice to do something different, that's where the magic happens. And that's really been, I mean, it's only been in the last few years that I've been starting to have more and more of those moments of realization. 
Um, and then just having that moment to be able to, it's not even, it's hard to explain. It's not even that you have to consciously change. It's just the moment of awareness. It begets the change, you know, yeah. because th that choice comes back online. I've heard that moment described as the a point the point of integrity. It's the mm -hmm. point at which, just like you said, I realize, oh, I have a choice here. I'm at a fork in the road when before it was just a straight line. Yes. And you know, have, having the willingness and the courage to choose differently. I mean, I don't know how many times I've walked up to that point and recognized <laughs> the choice and not been willing, not had the courage to for or for whatever reason you know, just went sailing down the same old road. Or as not even always. had the skills. Sometimes we don't have the skills. To that's do that's a huge part of it too. Yeah. You know, it, it certainly took time to develop, to develop for me. You know, I'm, I'm remembering a quote. I had to look it up. Um, it's on page 84 in, in the big book. It says, and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone. That's a powerful statement of yes. non-resistance that can come right after awareness because like I was sharing, um, awareness can quickly turn to, uh, you know, pushback and fighting and all of that, but yes. it's, it's critical. Uh, what it has been critical for me to, you know, to, however this works, I don't know, but to, to make it so, or to recognize that, that I am at a point of integrity, I am at a fork in the road with my awareness that, you know what, I don't have to fight about this. I can, I can cease fighting anything or anyone as the big book says on page 84 and willingness, you know, that's another piece of the puzzle. I mm -hmm. think that, that always, you know, it recurs on in so many places on, on every level and willingness to change, even if I don't know how to change or how to go about it or anything, all I have to do is if I'm aware of a pattern yeah. And I recognize I have a desire to change it. That that's that's getting there. Yeah. Am I willing to change it? Am I right. willing for it to be changed? Because sometimes that's how it feels. Like I'm yes. not the one doing the changing. Yeah. I just open the door and walk through it. Yep. Well, that's where the spiritual peace and the God peace comes in. Yeah. Um, Gosh, there's just so much about this. I, I love this, the thing about non-resistance. You know, we know that what we fight against, uh, when we fight against something, it only emboldens it and strengthens it, right? So I think that that acceptance is such a big piece of it because, for example, let's say we find ourselves having a perpetual thought. If we say, oh, God, there's that negative thing again. I'm so horrible. I'm just, I'm, uh, blah, blah, blah. that just creates shame. Yeah. The yeah. shame makes us want to shut it down. Then we're not going to be able to see it. It sort of stymies the whole process. So if I can say to myself, oh, yeah, look at that must have picked that up in childhood or somewhere along the line, but hey, I'm becoming aware of it. Now I have that moment where I can make a different choice. And for me, a lot of it is being less reactive, being able to respond rather than react. Absolutely. I love that. But hold that thought because it is time for a short break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation. Please stay with us. Practical Spirituality 
positive messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back indeed, and we are glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett, and I'm here with our co-host, Reverend Michelle Jelinch. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there, and each week we'll respond during the show to a listener question or comment. And be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, so please let us know what's on your mind. So prior to the break, we were discussing uh, negativity, negative thought patterns, negative uh, self-talk. And then we talked about the solution, which is to change our thoughts and um, how that works. So, Dan, now that we know that our challenge is that negative Uh, thinking process and such, and the solution is changing our thoughts. How exactly does that work? How does changing our thoughts lead us to a life of joy and peace? Uh, That's a big question. (laughs) Come on now, just... (laughs) Here's my answer, and it's going to take a minute for me to get there. So I love this show on uh, Netflix, Father Brown. It's a it's a British mystery. It's a quaint British mystery, a uh, murder mystery. Father Brown, Father Brown is a Catholic priest. is played by Mark Williams, who played Mister Weasley in the Harry Potter movies. And anyway, the the Father Brown character was created by G.K. Chesterton, which I didn't know until one day I was watching it, and it said that. And what I know about G.K. Chesterton is he said, "Angels can fly because they take themselves lightly." So in a sense, that's my answer. Angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. I can, quote, fly in my life, experience peace and joy in general in my life if I can find a way to take myself lightly. And how do I do that? But exactly what we're talking about, you know, become aware of the patterns of my thoughts, the patterns that my mind has, um, you know, and be willing to take some action from that point. Now, that action's always guided. You know, this is not something I want to go off in a corner and do on my own. You know, we, we, uh, I've, I'm fond of the saying that nobody can do my inner work for me, but I can't do this whole recovery deal alone. Yes. You know, even though no one can do it for me, I can't do it alone. And so... Um, how did changing my thoughts help me move from negativity to peace and joy? I think it just revealed the peace and the joy that's already there that I believe is my natural state mm-hmm. that was covered up by my busy, busy, worried, fearful mind. And if I ha- can get to a point where um, I can uh, develop a, a, the power to choose and not have my thoughts run you know, out, out of fear, um, then that just simply allows that which is already present. You know, I've heard it said that God is in the space between our breaths. And I thought, what the blank does that even mean? Yeah. Well, I kind of get it now because peace and joy are in the space in a sense between my thoughts. It's what is underneath it all. And if I can stop covering it up, then it will just appear. I don't have to create it. I don't have to go find it somewhere. Yeah. It's there. 
Right. I just need to stop drowning it out. Yes. We just need to remove all the obstacles to it, remove all the things that are um, impeding it. There you go. I like that, that that peace and joy really is our natural state. So how do we get rid of that stuff that is impeding it? Well, like we've both said a number of times, the key, at least the beginning, is um, awareness. And that's a really big chunk. Um, it takes a lot of time just to begin to become aware of even... Uh, I mean, there's awareness and then there's awareness, right? There's like levels of awareness. And the more, for me, the more I practice mindfulness, um, that kind of awareness, the more I uncover things that were previously unconscious, they become conscious. So that's a big part of the spiritual journey, right? Is taking the things out of the unconscious and moving them into consciousness. Again, I think maybe what the Buddhists would call waking up. Yeah. So that rather than operating on autopilot and operating out of a very unconscious space, um, we're becoming more and more conscious and um, operating from an awake space. And that naturally leads to peace and joy. And I love that what you said that, you know, we don't have to then go and find the peace and joy. The peace and joy are there once we clear some of this stuff um, a way that is covering it up, getting in the way, um, you know, of us experiencing that natural peace and joy that is our nature as humans. So I've, I've really found that, um, it's quite a bit more complicated than, uh, it would, than it would sound when you just hear things like, you know, I'm thinking there's a wine, a Wayne Dyer book, you know, change your thoughts, change your life. And I get it. I totally get that that is, um, that on one level, that is the deal. But in my personal experience, it's turned out to be a lot more complicated than that. You know, in Unity, we use denials and affirmations, and those are wonderful and can be a real uh, starting point that can help help us build that awareness. I think you were mentioning before the show when we were talking that when we say an affirmation, um, it can help us see that gap between our default thought process and what we're trying to get to, which is the affirmation. So if, you know, uh, give me a simple affirmation. Um, I'm a radiating center of God's <laughs> <and> prosperity. <laughs> Where'd you get that? Uh, no, I got the whole radiating center series. Yeah, I am a radiating center of God's peace and prosperity. Prosperity. Okay, so when I say that, there's sort of a cognitive dissonance that happens between that being the the goal thought and the part of me that goes, yeah, I'm not a radiating center of, well, I might be a radiating center of something, but probably not <laughs> peace and prosperity. But that's, that again, that's that practice of mindfulness where we hold up the affirmation and then we go, ah, I'm not there. And it shows us where we need to work. And so it's, I'm not saying that affirmations are not effective. They very much are. But yeah. to me, it's been a lot more complicated than that. I agree. And, you know, I'm reminded as you share that about that famous prosperity book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon oh. 
Hill. Think and Grow Rich, you know, written in the 30s, uh, same era as uh, the big book, same era as our own Unity's Prosperity, uh, thinking a lot of that coming out late 1800s and into the 30s. And that title, Think and Grow Rich, okay, yes, there's truth there, but there's a whole lot in between the think and the grow rich part. Like if I were going to project it on a slide in, in front of on a screen, in front of a room of people, it wouldn't be one sentence in the middle, think and grow rich. Oh, way over in the lower left is think. And then way in the upper right is grow rich. And in between is this whole jumbled circular path that folds back on itself. You've seen those drawings and it goes through the jungle and over the mountains and <laughs> under the water. And, and so... It, it, I'm just reminded that, that, like you say, change your thoughts, change your life is absolutely true. But there's a lot of layers there. But it's still absolutely true. And we look back on it. You know, anytime I've been able to do what I what that is pointing at, I look back on it and say, yes, that that is actually what's happening. Changing my thoughts, change my life. But like you said, it's not a matter of I'm carrying around a stack of affirmation cards that that's somehow magically going to make my life completely different uh, when I whip my cards out right. if I'm feeling, you know, threatened. And I totally concur with, with what you're saying. The, the uh, denial and affirmation tool that we have in Unity is quite powerful. Um, and what it does more than anything is raise awareness. Right. It raises the... Um, awareness of what's going on and then it raises awareness of the possibility for things to be different and yeah. that's extraordinarily powerful it's that's an absolutely necessary first step yeah you know along the way yeah and you know it really depends on what kind of thoughts we're talking about right i mean we have some thoughts that are just sort of negative habits we picked up along the way um you know, things that we say to ourselves on the fly, oh, I'm I'm not good at this, or oh, I'm always late, or oh, I always break things, or I always, you know, those kind of, those could be the big ones for some people, but for me, those are sort of a little bit more minor of things, right? Those things I can quickly become aware of and go, oh, why am I saying that to myself? Let me stop saying that. Let me replace that with, uh, let me give you another example. There's never enough time. Oh my gosh, I'm always so busy. I can never get things done. So I can fairly easily start to replace that with there's plenty of time. It's all going to get done. You know, I have enough time to accomplish, you know, those types of affirmations to accomplish the things I need to. Those things are a little more easily shifted for me. But let me just, and I'm just going to get real. You know, the deep ones for me are things like I'm not good enough, I'm not lovable. There's something wrong with me. Those are those really deep childhood wounding thoughts. Those are yeah. not going to get cleared away simply with affirmations. Right. The affirmations could be a good place to start. It might help to uncover stuff. But for me, those things have really persisted despite affirmations, despite, you know, a lot of the work that I've done, those things have been very persistent and tenacious and i think those are the really deeply ingrained things that are going to require a little bit deeper of work because they really are deeply ingrained in the subconscious and i've got to 
begin to tease them apart and find out, you know, what is really in there? Why do I have these deep feelings that I'm not good enough? I'm not lovable. I'm not okay. And that's, you know, required, as we say in 12-step programs, outside help or whatever. You know, I've, I've needed to use um, therapy and other types of um, modalities to really get at some of that stuff. So it's not just as simple as, well, I'm just not going to think this anymore. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree. Because it'll just keep coming back. Yeah, exactly. Because that's just a form of resistance. Like, oh, I don't like this about myself. I don't want to think this, so I'm not going to think it anymore. Uh, Good luck with that. Because that's just me pushing back and fighting with it. And the big book says we ceased fighting anything or anyone. So the path forward is the path of non-resistance. But I noticed, as you shared that, that you... In order for you even to ask yourself that question, you have to have a certain amount of awareness about what's going on. So your awareness allows you to take a step down the healing path and then sort of ask the next question or uh, uh, become aware of the next piece of the puzzle. I find that the denial and affirmation tool is very powerful. And what I find that it does is it illuminates the path forward. It does not fix me. It doesn't erase my problems, but it illuminates the path forward. And man, I need that. I don't want to be walking in the dark. I'm glad to have a tool that illuminates the path forward that shows me, as you shared, the difference between where my head is now and where I know I would like to be. That's the path, you know, right there. Uh, Years ago, I had a motorcycle. I'm not really a motorcycle person, but I did have a motorcycle for a fairly short time period of time. might have been a couple of years. I don't know. It was while I was still drinking and I had enough integrity at least that I, I, I would not get on that bike if I had any alcohol in my system whatsoever. And I never violated that principle, which of course meant I never rode my motorcycle. <laughs> but I did take a motorcycle safety course, you know, that there's like, the, <laughs> right. Like it, it was a really good looking motorcycle, but I had more important things to do. Um, it, it, it was, there's a motorcycle safety course. I think they called the basic rider course. Yeah, and it yeah, was, yeah. It, it's a great thing to take. And I highly recommend it to anybody. Yeah. So we go over to the community college, you know, all day Saturday, all day Sunday in the parking lot. And they teach us all kinds of things about handling a bike. And one of them that really um, stuck in my head was wherever your eyes go, that's where the bike is going. Uh-huh. So if you're going down a road, like a two lane road at night, and there's a car coming the other way, and you can see the headlights, do not look at the headlights of the (laughs) oncoming car because that is where your bike is going to go if that's where you're looking. So you keep your eyes on the white line over on the right, you know, up opposite the oncoming, you know, death machine that's coming your way that if it were you head on, you you might have a hard time. (laughs) And there was another trick that they taught us where you, you pull the bike up to within like one foot of a wall right in front of you. And what they want you to do is turn to the left or to the right in one smooth motion and ride the bike away from the wall. Um, you cannot do that if you don't take your head turn it completely to the side and look at the ground behind you. If you do that, you can successfully guide the bike there. If you don't do that, you will not get off of that wall. You're going to bump into it. 
So where your eyes go, that's where the bike goes. And that's kind of what these uh, affirmations are when we talk about changing our thinking through affirmation or, you know, through denial and affirmation. That's where my eyes are going. I am changing where my eyes are going Mm. because I, I have faith that the bike will then follow. And I have found that to be so true in in all of life. And I'm so grateful. I mean, if that's the only thing I learned from having a motorcycle, that's enough. We are on fire with the metaphors today. Woo. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, and I'm thinking about that now, you know, affirmations I did really early in sobriety and that um, maybe lay the groundwork for the work that I've been able to do more recently. You know, there's just so many layers to this recovery stuff and to healing, um, you know, healing some of these really ingrained thought patterns and stuff. So, yeah, we are absolutely not saying that affirmations don't work. Um, They do work. They may be, you know, what sort of blows the cover off of stuff and then you get to dig more deeply you know like I say there's things that can quickly be corrected and then there's things that it's like okay this is going to really require some more work I'm going to need some help with this I'm going to need to talk to my minister or a psychologist or you know sponsor or whatever it is to really um you know, see what it is that I need to do to uh, begin to heal some of this. But the affirmation, the the changing the exterior thought could be what blows that whole thing open. So it is all still very powerful. Absolutely. I want to give a little plug for mindfulness practice, not because I'm any kind of meditation guru, but because for some reason I've been able to piece together a bunch of 24 hours in which I have meditated for at least five minutes. Um, That was my initial goal to myself, five minutes a day. If I do 20 or 30 or an hour, that's great. But if I do five, I'm good. And that was what enabled me to string a bunch of those 24 hours together and has really begun to change um, a lot of things for me. And so I just want to say that, you know, there's so many misconceptions about meditation and um, this, you know, we're talking about thoughts today. And so many people have the idea that meditation is about not thinking or about somehow stopping your thoughts. And there may be forms of meditation that have that as their goal, but not the type that I practice and not what's, you know, popularly called mindfulness meditation. It's really, um, it's more of an allowing process of just, um, you know, when you're sitting, you're focusing on your breath or whatever it is that you're using as your anchor or your focus. And when the thought comes up, when you have an awareness of that thought, you go, oh, And I like to talk cutesy to my thoughts because, I don't know, sort of finagles them a little bit. Oh, look at that. Isn't that cute? There's that that thought. Um, Bye-bye. You know, thanks for sharing. Be on your way. So many different ways to, you know, imagine it as a cloud floating by or imagine the thought climbing on the train and the train going off into the distance or, you know, whatever works. But it's what it is is, um, and it's taken me years to figure this out, but it's developing that awareness ability, developing that ability to become aware of what has previously been completely unconscious. Most of us are not aware of our thoughts. Um, and so it's like a muscle that you're building, that you're flexing and flexing and the muscle begins to build. And what it does is it begins to bleed over into your non-meditating life so that all of a sudden you start having these awarenesses. Oh, 
I'm thinking that old thought about how I'm always blah, 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 or I'm never blah, blah, blah. That's what's happened for me is that the it began in meditation time and then the awarenesses began to come in my normal daily waking life. So, um, you know, I hope that's helpful to someone as a starting off point um, that that's how we can begin to build that awareness muscle. It's, I love that. It's, you're describing an awareness practice, yes. right? You don't just do it one day and you're done. It's something that you return to. It's a practice. And it reminds me of, you know, I, I really appreciate many of the uh, recovery sayings that we have. And one day at a time yeah. might be the top of the pile for me, because that's the only way I've been able to stay uh, clean and sober is one, literally one day at a time, not even figuratively. You know, we were joking before about <laughs> about languages. I've literally one day at a time. No, really, like <laughs> literally one day at a time. If I don't stay in today, then I'm putting my sobriety at risk. And, and so an awareness practice is something that we can only do one day at a time. I can't do tomorrow's um, mindfulness uh, practice, whether I'm, you know, doing an, an informal kind of practice at a, at a red light, say that's my favorite example, or a formal sitting practice where I have, you know, maybe a, a certain place or a certain at a certain time, and maybe I use a timer and all that. It's a formal practice, and they're both helpful, and ideally I'm doing both of them. I'm, I'm really not uh, good at the formal practice. I'm particularly adept at the informal uh, practice. So that's what I go with um, at this point. But man, just one day at a time, changing my thoughts helped me move from negativity to peace one day at a time. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, again, my personal feeling is that it doesn't require hours and hours and hours of sitting in any kind of complicated lotus totally. position. Yeah, that's um, right. Like I say, five minutes a day will change your life. Absolutely will. Five minutes a day will change your life. So that's my little plug for mindfulness. It's really been a game changer for me and I think can really help with this becoming aware of our thoughts. And, you know, we do want to get to living happy, joyous, and free and peaceful. That's what this is all about. We didn't get Absolutely. sober or clean to be miserable. We want to be living happy, joyous, and free. And, um, you know, this is the type of thing that can help us get there. So go I for am it. With, I'm with you on that 100%. Yes. I've heard yeah. that said so many times, you know, I didn't get sober to, or, or God didn't drag me to the shores of sobriety just to <laughs> you know, have, have, have a bad time of it. No, but no. Uh, let us change gears and turn our attention to a question or a comment from you, our listener. So here's a question that often comes up. It seems like I have no control whatsoever over my thoughts. How can you say that I need to change my thinking? Michelle, uh, Perhaps you've experienced this and or heard it. I've done both. What, what's your response to that conundrum? Yeah, gosh, I mean, it's basically what we've been talking about. Um, we don't, we're, our goal is not to control our thoughts because that's never going to work. Um, like we've been saying, our, my goal anyway is to become aware of my thoughts so that when I become aware of a thought that's not helpful, not useful, not skillful, that I have that moment of awareness where I can see how those types of unconscious thoughts are driving my life and not making me happy. And then I have that magic moment of waking up where I can choose a different thought, but it's all in the awareness. So I would say 
controlling our thoughts or trying to control our thoughts is probably counterproductive. Let's, let's yeah. try to become aware of our thoughts. And again, mindfulness practice can be really helpful for that. I totally agree. Trying to control my thoughts is just resisting and fighting and it just, yep. it just pours fuel on the fire somehow. You know what, what, what occurred to me uh, with this question, you know, how can, how can we say that you need to change your thinking? What occurred to me was to use the first three steps yes. in the 12 step program. The very first thing is very much a statement of awareness or, you know, in our case, powerlessness. I'm aware, yep. I become aware of the fact that I am powerless in my case over alcohol. And the second step came to believe, well, maybe there's another way yeah. here, you know, so I can apply that to a thought pattern. You know, I become aware that, gosh, I just, I can't stop this negative thinking. That's, yeah. that's acknowledgement of powerlessness. Well, maybe there is another way that I don't know. Yeah. That's step two. Step three is turn it over. You know, now we're talking about higher power. Um, turn it over to the higher power that I came to believe in step two about. And so I think those, those three simple stages can help us, um, you know, begin to place a crack in this whole thing. Yep. Yes, absolutely. Well, we, uh, speaking of affirmations, we always like to offer you one um, that you can use throughout the week to try to solidify some of these ideas in your mind. And our affirmation today is, I align my mind with divine mind and bless and nurture myself with positive life-affirming thoughts. I love that one. I align my mind with divine mind and bless and nurture myself with positive life-affirming thoughts. Absolutely. Well, it's happened again. <laughs> You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we are really grateful that you have. Yeah. We thank you for that. We hope that you found something in all of our yammering and going on that will genuinely be helpful to you in your recovery. Thank you, Reverend Michelle, of course, again for our discussion. And thanks to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. Listeners, if you'd like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page. We hope you will. Spirit of Recovery. And go ahead and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And don't drink like my co-host, please. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Laura Worcester, host of the Intuitive Life Podcast. As an intuitive medium and teacher working with the world of spirit, I love to share the peace that comes with the awareness that our departed loved ones are still with us. And I also love to help people explore what it means to live an intuitively led life. 
Start listening now on mindbodyspirit.fm or wherever you get your podcasts.